welcome to the Show Up Podcast, a place where we explore leadership and how it's showing up for us in the world in which we work, and a space for you to explore what leadership means in your context, how you show up, how you turn up to be the best leader you can be in the world that you work in today. Gentlemen, it's a Friday afternoon. We're recording another episode of the podcast. It feels like we'd be in a pub right now uh, having a drink if we all were in the same place, but obviously we're not. So how... That would be nice, though, wouldn't it? It's I'd, one of them I'd days. Go for a pint right now. What do you have? Yeah. What's your mm. order? Day like today, I'd probably have a pint of IPA, maybe a Guinness. Would you? Mm. Jamie? Quite warming and filling. I'd actually still go for cider, actually. Oh, nice. Yeah. I'm going to go controversial because it's a little bit cold. Van show. Ooh. You're not in a ski resort, Graham. That's where I suppose you are. In your well... fantasy club, you, you could be wherever you like. Exactly. Highest Irish pub in the in the world, in Valteren. That's where I could be right now. Echoes of the valley. Cold breeze coming over the top. Slight echoes of La Folle Douce coming down the mountain. Uh, I may have been there, if anyone's wondering. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah. so gents, we, we normally check in before we do the recording, but why, we thought we'd throw it on the start of the recording today. So Jamie, Derry, how are you boys? How's the week been? Well, thanks for asking, buddy. Um, it's been a roller coaster of a week, both, I think, physically intellectually and emotionally i'm really enjoying the idea this is the the wrap up to the week i would love to be up in the mountains though but that actually does sound amazing so um wistfully checked in but wishing emotionally and physically i was somewhere high up with altitude and clear skies nice. smile if people could see the smiles on our faces right now as we're talking about this it's quite impressive I am also good, thank you. Uh, had a good week actually. Like a lot of good things happening on the work front. Family's all good. Kids have got a bizarre inset weekend where they're off school today, Monday, and Tuesday, which is otherwise known as the teacher Black Friday weekend, as far as I'm concerned. The teacher shopping inset weekend. Yeah, but we're taking advantage of that, and we're actually going to fly to Lapland on Monday morning to be in the mountains surrounded by snow. Um, it's about minus 13 degrees there at the moment, which apparently is relatively warm. Yes. And we're going to go and see if we can track down the big guy and see if the kids are on the nice list or not. Funnily enough, Terry, on Tuesday the 19th of December, I am doing the same thing. Are you? Yes. Excellent. So I'll, I look forward I will to let you notes. know how it is. Yes. Uh, yeah. it, it, the main thing that I'm aware of at this moment in time before I get there is how obscenely expensive it is. <laughs> but I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get past that. Yeah, I hear that Guinness imagine. will be very expensive. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's going to be awesome. Yeah, it's sure, I'm very, awesome. very much looking forward to it. I'm trying to find a spot where I can go for a little ice swim, but I haven't quite track that down yet well that's that's serious ice swimming that would be my main personal adventure to go for five seconds i'll probably do a minute or two look at that everybody wim hof disciple in the house oh blimey man that's that's serious stuff the uh the with with cold dipping it it's kind of fine down to about five degrees and then for every degree below that getting close to freezing it is exponentially colder mm-hmm. so the coldest i've done is one or two degrees so far but our actual ice dipping is probably a bit colder than that mm-hmm. in minus 13 so we'll see and he's just sipping a diet coke everybody as he says that you know like all great black shirted men do <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, 
So, yes, nice day. That sounds like a wonderful few days ahead. I'm not going to lie, chaps. I've had a, well, Jamie said roller coaster. I would say for me, the word roller coaster does apply, but I'm at a specific, bit of the specific point of that roller coaster that's, uh, that's been, uh, particularly personally quite challenging this week for me. Um, and it probably leads a little bit into the subjects. I thought I'd, I'd really like your opinion on it, a la round a pub on a Friday type, uh, style. Uh, it's kind of the broad theme about this is uh, leaders under stress and the behaviors of leaders under stress and what lies behind it. A bit of your experiences in this kind of space. Um, in short summary, a, I'm sit on a few committees for things um, around a sport. And I had to choose this week to step down because the behaviours of the chair of that, those committees and that whole sport very much were out of his normal character, but then also were, uh, I found to be very challenging to me and my personal values in the world. And it caused quite a lot of conflict for me, as it always does when someone challenges my core values or something I'm experiencing challenges my core values. But, you know, I'm through the other side of it and I've explored the me side of it quite a lot through this past week. But it really got me curious again to this idea that the, I think there's a quote, famous quote once or someone said something along the lines of, you can tell the true, stri- the true stripes of a leader as how they perform under stress rather than how they perform day to day yeah. and it just got me thinking i was like oh, i'm chatting to the boys on friday we talk about leaders leadership things that they go through over to my great friends jamie and derry you know what um and you know what my heart goes out to you for having what i think would probably have been a rather difficult week um i know how much some of those things that you're involved in mean to you and to have to make that choice on the basis of behaviours that were showing up would not have been easy. Um, so that's my first thought. Second one is it actually reminds me of a lesson that I learned in my own leadership journey, if I may just kind of put that out there for a minute, which is a little bit about um, the uh, phrase you just used, which is you learn more about people through that sort of moment of extreme rather than just in terms of being able to just run the ship, as it were. And uh, a great mentor of mine, um, a guy called Edgar Ancona, if he ever listens to this, I send my best regards to you and Nora, um, who was my boss in Hong Kong for a Mm -hmm. period of time, and then in North America as well. And he and I talked about my journey as a leader in that organization, um, which was a large global bank. And he said, Jamie, you clearly can do most of the things that people need, but you've not failed yet. So nobody knows how you pick yourself back up and deal with the war wounds of failure in this organization. And that is an important consideration when people are choosing the next level of more senior leaders than you're at already. And I was already a fairly senior uh, person. Edgar was nearing retirement at that time. And I was therefore a sort of succession path for um, senior executive globally. He said, you've got to have failed and people have got to have seen how you handle it. And and what he basically meant was they need to see how you react under the most extreme circumstances to know that they can trust you Hmm. and how you respond or do you crumble in that, in that circumstance. That was the context for them. Um, And it, it therefore does make me think um, that, you do learn more about uh, people in the most extreme circumstances, whether that be stress, trauma, um, real pressure, or whatever it might be, unexpected situations. I, I suspect an awful lot of organizations learned an awful lot about their leadership teams in the um, early stages of the pandemic as that started mm. to rapidly unfold across the world. Who who in their leadership teams were capable of um, 
handling the complexity of the human, the operational, the technical dimensions of the rapid change in operating circumstances, the human dimension of the what the hell's going on here type experience, the, the communications, the engagement, the listening to people. That was probably a, a salutary lesson to many uh, organizations about who in their leadership cohorts were capable of dealing with real complexity. Um, but it's it's often the very individual moments of stress or extreme that reveals the most about an individual. Um, so I would, in many respects, agree um, that it's important to understand them, even though actually... Yeah, one would hope that 90 plus percent of the time people don't have to operate in those environments so it's mm. also very very important to understand how they normally tend to behave and then just start to think about how do i help them become better versions of themselves in extremis um and that's with my sort of coaching and developmental head head on uh, so that when those moments do arise you can then be of support in a system or as a, as a friend or as a coach. So it's difficult to know. I think in the circumstances you're describing here, Graham, this is one where you know, you've had to react as a consequence of a situation. Background to that, we don't need to explore now. And you thought, you know what, this has revealed more about the person and the, the situation that I'm prepared to deal with right now. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, do, I agree with that. Like, you know, the thoughts that come up for me on the outside of it, you know, integrity of myself and the way I go about stuff, um, integrity of the process that people follow and the things that people choose to get behind, the outcomes and impact of any of those activities for people. Um, but I think for me at the core was just that discomfort of like, okay, so there's clearly some stress going on in your system, person on the other side of the the table you seem reluctant to face up to that and are keeping you know retaining the line that you feel is right to retain but you're doing that in such a way that you're becoming blind and blinkered to the 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 ripple effect of that and just observing that taking place and, you know, in support of that person, kind of knocking on the door and going, hey, have you noticed this? And just having it straight rejected as not being possible or taking place. That became quite a, you know, it's like, what for me, that was like, why am I making the effort? <laughs> you know, it's clear my presence here isn't valued, is undervalued. And it's clear that my efforts aren't, despite being in service of you, aren't being received in service of you. Mm -hmm. So I've got to look after number one, which is something I very rarely do. There's people who know me very well. So it was quite an interesting experience of the week. And it and it, it, it got me really thinking, like, and it's something you just said there that really I'd never even considered. Good old Edgar. It was Edgar, wasn't it? Okay, yeah. Fabulous guy. When he says, people are looking for you to fail to see how you react. Mm. How has that possibly become a marker for whether someone's, like, showing someone's level of capability? Derry, I don't know if you've got a thought on that. Yeah, I I thought that was a really fascinating and insightful way of looking at it, actually. It reminds me, so I've seen a number of leaders in a number of stressful situations in things like consulting projects where we're running at you know, two, three in the morning for day four in a row and everyone's really tired and there's a lot of pressure to get something over the line or in particular in deal environments where companies are being sold and suddenly there are large sums of money on the table and i've always 
it's always really struck me how people change in that type of environment and when i heard that quote from edgar i think the thing that popped into my head was well it's not necessarily that people are looking for you to fail but when you do fail and then you react in a certain way they either step closer to you as a leader and say this is someone i can follow and commit to and when we get through this i'm going to see them as somebody that is worth putting my time into or they step further away and they say whoa hold on a minute you really showed your true colors there i don't like that anymore so i don't know that people are sitting there saying well I need this person to fail before I can work out whether or not they're worth following. But after you fail and react in a certain way, they will adjust mm. how much, how committed they are to following you. Yeah. In the I same mean, way as, I mean, you know, I remember David Beckham leading the England football team in a crunch world cup qualifier and running himself into the absolute ground, leading that team and then scoring that famous free kick at the end. And I think in that moment, lots of people said, okay, that's a real leader who stepped up under pressure and and worked hard. And you see those moments when people either step in, stay calm, think clearly, and do, do what needs to be done, or the people that step away and just throw their hands up and give up and walk walk away from the situation, or the people that cascade all of that stress out onto the team and make everything harder and in those moments i think you people make a choice as to who they're actually going to follow or not mm. i think jamie am i misunderstanding edgar's view there? Well, i think it's a way of reading edgar's perspective but you're absolutely right i don't think anybody wanted me to fail because in some cases some of what i was doing in that context um you wouldn't want somebody to fail at but I think the a message for me was for me to be considered for bigger, more serious executive responsibility in that environment. They couldn't make a judgment on whether I could cope with it until they'd seen how I could operate under all circumstances. And because they'd only ever seen me operate under what was deemed to be progressively successful circumstances, they wouldn't know whether I'd be able to pick myself up knowing that one of the inevitabilities, I think this is, and this is partly contextually relevant and relevant for most leaders in any circumstance. One thing that is certain is you're going to probably end up in a situation of extremists at some point if you are willingly going to go into leadership. It's going to happen. And sometimes it's going to happen where there are actually no winning solutions in the way that you would normally define them. It's going to be how do you survive? A, a situation to the extent that you can and i think that the longevity of that organization the breadth of experience the depth of experience in so many parts of the world um uh meant that they had a corporate knowledge it's kind of like an executive experience that at some point everybody fails you have to it just that the, the law of averages suggests it's going to happen at some point so how do you cope with that is an important test if you are to then be capable of becoming a steward for that institution because you, you, it has to be part of your portfolio of capabilities as far as they would describe it so that's edgar, that was edgar's message um throughout for the kind of audience that we have um golden age emerging leaders i think the um message is you may have inherited it you may have been pushed into it you may have wanted it at some point in your leadership career you will face a situation almost certainly, and it's one of the non-guarantees, but as close to guarantees as I can think of, where there's a no-win situation. And it will feel extraordinarily emotionally, intellectually, and physically stressful. Um, and it's it's vital to, to understand that going into leadership um, rather than just thinking of the big glowing medal that you might get or the big reward package or the feeling of pride of leading a team that other side of it is also it's part of that package and if you don't expect it and it suddenly surprises you um how you respond to that is a critical marker for your own self of um 
what it takes to be a leader, in my opinion, um, having experienced the highs and lows of both sides of that. I'm reminded of a phrase in startup world of if if you're not embarrassed by the first version of your product, you waited too long to ship it. <laughs> the idea, the idea being that if you just chase safety, the safety of perfection, then you're leaving stuff on the table. And I think in this context, what came up for me there, Jamie, was not only will you encounter those situations, but you want to encounter those situations because if you are playing it so safe that you are never in danger of failing, then you're already failing anyway. And you need to be taking enough risks and pushing hard enough that you are going to fail at something. And if you're not doing that, you're not really developing as a leader. Mm. And if if there's no real stress and no real danger of failing, then are you even a leader at all? What are you leading if there's no risk of failure? So I don't know that you want to be taking... I don't. I don't think leaders should be taking regular huge risks that have a high likelihood of failing. But equally, you want to have a risk of failing. You must have a risk of failing on a reasonably frequent basis to develop as a leader and to be seen as a leader. I well, I would just qualify a little bit of what I'm hearing there slightly. I think there are certain contexts where. Steady hand, clear head, confidence and comfort with maintaining a course uh, that doesn't necessarily require whatever you are leading to then try and break new boundaries to be actually paramount. And I'm trying to, I'm struggling to think of an an obvious example of what that might be, but um, anything where a reliable either service or product or um, something incredibly steadfast is needed for whoever the stakeholders are that are dependent on the thing that you're leading as an either an ent- entity or organization to try and take that into push the boundaries type territory to see if we can improve it for improvement's sake where there is no need isn't necessarily what that leadership role re- calls however environmentally as we've seen in the last few years Certain certain circumstances can emerge where you suddenly have to try and maintain that against all the odds. So anything where you're maintaining essential services in a society, maybe you're essentially essentially running the grid or a water supply or a transport network where you don't necessarily want to push the boundaries all the time in normal circumstances, but you've got to make it work. And the environmental odds have suddenly thrown you into a situation that you could never have foreseen. That's where the extremist emerges from, as opposed to intentionally taking it there. In other circumstances, a corporate leader who wants to grow a business, wants to scale up, wants to tackle competitors, wants to break new markets. That's where they're intentionally taking into something which is causing stress, as opposed to it happening to them. And I think that the two, while exposing a leader to similar types of experience and therefore exposing different types of how can they cope with it and indeed what do they see in themselves when they deal with it uh, might be similar they happen for quite different reasons and neither of them should be judged as being a good or bad leader for choosing to be in either one of those environments i'm very happy to see great leaders maintain something if that's what they are brilliant at i'm also very excited by by leaders who want to break new boundaries um, both of them are going to experience that kind of stress, but for different, potentially different reasons. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's fair with the slight nuance on it that there's no such thing as a static environment for any leader to operate in. No, absolutely so not. Even, even if you're maintaining that status quo, total reliability service, you still need to, you, you can't just sit back. No. There will still be dynamics at play that could lead to failure oh yeah absolutely i agree yeah yeah for that for me sparks up again you know it's been around for nearly 20 years now this idea of leaders stepping back and just taking a breath to notice the impact of themselves through that constantly fluid environment that you talk about 
um, in this, you know, in my circumstance, it's clear that this leader is under stress. It's clear that they're not taking a moment to just step back and look at, well, what am I now rippling out into the world around me? And I don't know about for you chaps, but a lot of the leaders I've coached deeply benefit when they just pause, elevate out, as we've always said, from the dance floor to the balcony mm. and just notice what's going on and going, hang on a minute, I've got a role to play in this. What can I do to improve the situation or redirect the situation or catalyze it, motivate it, limit it? Just step back and, and see what they're dropping into that ocean and how the ocean reacts. So when, when you're a leader under stress, hmm. how do you actually do that? How do you actually get enough headspace to step back and observe and choose how you react? Because I think one of the things we're talking about here is when these stressful situations crop up is when people see the true colors of a leader and who they really are. Mm -hmm. If that situation is exposing who you really are in a way that you can't control. So the, the, the implication behind that is normally you're controlled and operating in a choosing to behave in a certain way. But in these situations, you're under enough stress that your default patterns come out and you get triggered and however you behave mm. in that circumstance. So how do you actually step back and get yourself back under control? Because you're out, you're out of control. Definitionally, you're out of control mm -hmm. then versus your normal state. How do you get back under control when that stress comes on? I'll let you go first on that one, Graham. Unless you want to... Just thinking of... Oh, there's a, quite a few thoughts coming up. The first is look at the reactions happening to those whose opinion you value most around you. So what I'm saying by that is notice how those you would class as being in your inner circle are reacting to you as you currently are in this moment in time, especially if it's in that stressful moment. Because if they start reacting differently to you because of the way you're acting and you notice, hang on, they're acting differently, that might be the first signal that something's going on inside you that you've yet seen. Um, it could be, you know, stepping back and taking some mindfulness space where you start to notice, well, what what's the inner dialogue that I'm actually experiencing right now and starting to consciously engage with that. And it could also be, simple sometimes as just answering the question what really is annoying me right now and if it's all if the answer to that question is all outside of you what is the question to which that feeling is the answer you give me an example what you mean by that I'll give you an example from my thing this week. I noticed this person's acting like this. I've noticed I'm over this person's acting like this. I'm having a reaction. Got a lot of that going on. A little bit of speculation, possibly a bit of assumption going on there. But then when I say, well, if I play back all of that story and I, what is the question that's really going on for me to which all of what I'm seeing is the answer. The question is, why are you not acting upon your values being challenged? So it's a route to take all that outside information and observation and bring it inside because ultimately we're the ones that can decide how we step forwards in a moment. So the question ultimately came back to how do you want to respond to it? Yeah. I'm making a conscious choice in that response. Yeah. And I think everything you've described are ways of giving yourself enough headspace to make that conscious choice, just pausing and breathing. And often you can't do that when you're, when it's four o'clock in the afternoon and you're in the office in the mm. thick of whatever's causing you stress, but you can do it when you wake up at four in the morning stressed. Mm. 
and everything's running through your head and your head goes to right i've got to tell jane to do this and sally to do that and bob to do this other thing and i've got to write all these notes and fire off all these emails and spray stress everywhere that's the opportunity to take a pause and say is is that necessary why am i doing that what is causing me to feel so scared or angry or whatever the emotion is that's sitting behind the stress, or this whatever emotion is triggered by the stress and trying to reflect in that moment yeah I, i'm remembering a really it, at the time it was said to be a very bad thing that i did so a graduate assessment center we're on a, we're on a time pressure problem solving situation a group of six people i'm one of the members of six we're being observed and clearly there's an employment opportunity at the end of this assessment center and i remember the conversation got very very heated i didn't partake in the heat but i was observing of all the heat and i remember and the reason i remember because my now wife wrote notes in the interview <laughs> that said this person's really arrogant because i leant back on my chair onto two legs and later on i was playing back this experience because obviously it didn't feel great um being told that's what i'd done and it was doing that because i was like I, I didn't feel like i was being arrogant and what i found was the reason why i was leaning back on the chair was because i was feeling stress from not being able to process everything that was going on in that conversation and i needed some way to create some separation from the group in order to just get my head straight but i didn't want to leave the group so i sort of stayed put and just leant back you know four inches i didn't fall over thankfully but i remember that was the sign that was my brain telling me you need to separate to make sense and in a very juvenile way i did it in a completely unrefined and uneloquent manner that portrayed something i didn't intend to portray but when you say what you're saying there derry about just choosing that moment to create headspace for yourself because that's what can give you a choice it feels very resonant with me what you're saying yeah somehow being aware of it uh, which is which as you said graham check in with people who know you well or typically work around you or be observant maybe sensitive to how they may be visibly or maybe not visibly verbally responding to how you're showing up that's a good sign but i guess there's also the how do you get you start how do you start to become very sensitive to how you're physically feeling um in situations of stress because everybody kind of overlooks the fact that if this is going to be an inevitability, then you've got to start listening to the signs and signals your body's giving you. Your body's giving you about how do you respond in situations of excitement and, and anxiety because they are very nice early warning signals. So once you've got that bit, then it's the how do you respond to that to help you make that shift. Hmm. One of the tools that I use actually is these days – I didn't used to use this, um, but I'm more tuned into it now, is an awareness of my addictive behaviors. Oh. And we all have levels of addictive behaviors of various kinds, um, even if that is work or exercise or you know, relatively benign addictive behaviors or really damaging addictive behaviors or something in between. What I've noticed now, so one of my addictive things is food. And what I've noticed is that when I'm stressed, I am more more likely to go and eat when I'm not hungry in various ways. And it's the, I won't always notice that I'm stressed, but I'll notice that I have a desire to go and eat food that I don't need to eat. And so I can tune into that as a signal of my mind and body wanting to process something that's going on. And I I would encourage people generally to try and identify and tune into what are your addictive behaviors 
or your stress responses more broadly and notice when those behaviors and habits are cropping up in circumstances where you're not consciously choosing to do the thing. Yeah, that one's a huge one. Mm. You, if you're going for the snack cupboard a lot. Yeah. Or, or you're, you're pouring crazy. a glass of wine on a Monday oh. night. Or... Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh... Yeah, it's uh, that's a, a common one I see, especially in people who at some point have chosen to start pursuing a healthier-based lifestyle in both food choices and exercise choices. You know, are your exercise hours going down or are they massively increasing? I know some people who under stress really default to what they feel they're good at and they double down on it really hard. Mm. Um and I guess it's that ebb and flow thing, right? You know, people talk that if you write a journal, notice what you're writing in your journal and how that's changing. If you've got really trusted someone, ask someone to read three or four entries and go, what do you see going on here? Talk to your coach, talk to your therapist, you know, mm-hmm. talk to the bus driver, if that's who, you know, <laughs> your person you share your stuff with. I guess you like to say it feels like we're talking about just changes in pattern. Pattern recognition, yeah. Yeah. Um the the talking to other people it raises the other point that I, I think is really important here. We've talked a lot so far about self awareness and tuning into yourself, but the reality is when you are deeply stressed, that can be difficult to impossible mm-hmm. in that moment to identify that your behaviours are slipping off track in some way. I think having somebody who is that trusts you enough to speak honestly to you about your behaviours and essentially say you're being a dick or you're you're not behaving in line with your own values or you're damaging yourself or you're damaging others and trusts you enough and is safe enough with you to actually tell you that honestly in the moment, I think is incredibly powerful mm. i i'm reminded years ago now when i um ultimately this led to a changing career direction for me my wife sat me down and said rate yourself out of 10 on four dimensions physical health mental health your relationships with your friends and my relationship with her at that time in terms of how well was I doing versus where I would like to be doing? And mm-hmm. I couldn't rate myself more than three or four out of 10 on any of those dimensions. And that was her way of saying to me, you're deeply stressed. You're not looking after yourself. You're not looking after the things you care about. Make a change. And I wasn't, that wasn't visible to me at the time at all. But because she cared enough and trusted me enough to speak honestly to me about it, I became aware. And so what I, the other thing I would encourage people to do is when you're not, before you're stressed, when you're calm and everything's rosy, have a conversation with somebody that cares about you and trusts you enough to speak honestly to you and say, if you see me doing these things, behaving in this way, transgressing my own values, et cetera, you have my permission to tell me. Simple as that. And I do wonder in that, Derry, how powerful it could be if leaders, when they start to contract with their new teams about the ways of working, contract for the deviators. It's very easy for us always to say, this is where I am on my best day and this is what I like to do and this is how I want us to operate and do those things from there. But what could be possible if teams started to talk with a deviation awareness to themselves? Hmm. I feel like that could offer some really rich things for teams. Oh, I go really quiet when I'm stressed. I also don't like to be asked about it, but I just like people to bring me along on the, on the ride a bit. And I might kick and scream a little bit at first, but I know ultimately it's good for me. You know, if someone could share that going into a team, I think the level of compassion would go up through the roof, right? Yeah. Well, the degree, yeah, the degree of human connection in that environment where somebody's prepared to say, listen, there's good and there's bad, and by the way, we're human, therefore we know that both exist, 
And we're not going to pretend that just because we're in a corporate environment, it's only about the good that we're going to need to talk about. It's an incredibly powerful statement and, and creates a safety about how it's possible then to have that kind of relationship with others in a peer-to-peer group. Whether they choose to or not is a different matter. But I'm just thinking through, how often would a new manager sit down with their team, let alone a leader with their teams of teams, and say, hey, listen, this is what it's going to be like working with me. And I invite you to keep an eye on this, because if we don't keep an eye on each other, this won't work. To the way, to the, I, to the, I, I would say even even at the level of this is how I like to work and how I like to be updated and all of the positive stuff. Mm. A lot of people don't don't even have that conversation. I think <laughs> very rare to have the conversation about this is where it's going to go wrong. And I'd like you to call me out on it, please. Mm. But I totally agree. And it, not even even just knowing that you're going to have that conversation will force a level of consideration and self-awareness about what do you do when you're stressed mm. before you get stressed. And I, I think that's a big part of this is to take the moment when you're not in the thick of it and identify what has happened, reflect on things that have happened in the past and mm. consider that. And if you've got people on your team that you've worked with before, ask them, hmm. what, do, what do I do when the going gets tough? What have you noticed? What annoys you? Yeah. Take that next level of stepping into actually getting the feedback from them. Ooh, this is a tough one to translate into um, a, a direct um, call to action. People, I don't think I we think, need to. I think with for me, we're talking about something that's very real. We've all experienced it. We're sharing some of the lessons we've picked up, some of the things that we've supported others to make happen. Uh, yeah, just oh, we should go to the pub more often, fellas. Hey. I I think the <laughs> I think the call to action. I've got a very clear picture in my head. Of... Oh, go on. <laughs> Uh, what I mean, I think in slides, right? I'm a consultant. One <laughs> one page on the left of it, me when it's going well, and on the right, me when it's going badly, and a few bullet points on each side that you give to your team, and you say, "This is this is how I work, and I'm working on these bits, and these are the areas I'm trying to develop." Or you ask for feedback. On the, the clarifications, Derry. That's bullet points, not bullet holes. Yes. I mean, it depends how bad it is on the right hand side, right? <laughs> no, I, I listen, and Derry, I totally get with, I get you. And there's a, there's a very, in my mind, and I'm feeling it as well. There's a very simple and practical way we could approach it. What we're, what we're suggesting here is quite a big ask for people from where they might be today, which is to have the confidence, uh, the courage, in many respects, to go right. I'm just going to put it all on the table. If it's on the table, it won't get in our way as much as it might do if it's hidden. And I'm going to be willing to have the conversation with people that I may or may not know very well about what I'm really like. That's that's the bigger ask that I'm thinking of, which is, guess what? We sit around every now and again because we've chosen to do so, because we like it, talking about how we feel about things. That's not necessarily the norm for an awful lot of people, nor is it a norm when you've just suddenly been handed the title, you're the leader of this team. There's a bunch of other stuff going around in your head as well. And what we're saying here is don't forget this moment because actually it could help you become a much better leader. And you're, the people working around you, just from taking this simple step, which is a tough one to do, could engage with you as a leader vastly differently and vastly more effectively than anything else you might try. Mm. I remember a few years ago, you guys were working with a big pharmaceutical company. I over the world running a, running a program. Mm. And if I recall correctly, they were successful in getting some of their senior leaders up on stage talking about this type of thing mm. with their vulnerabilities and things. Mm-hmm. Is there anything, anything in insight there in terms of how they got those people into that mindset to be be able to stand on stage and? Oh yeah, trusted space, trusted audience, trusted 
contracting on a way people can hear the messages without judgment. A lot of stuff that was done there to to give those leaders the space to be able to to say what they really wanted to say. I also think, and it, it leads into what Jamie was saying as well, that this kind of level of conversation promotes authenticity amongst people. And I noticed that one of the biggest derailers of trust of pe- that people have in leaders is when they don't operate authentically. So I feel like being able to share the whole story of a of a leader of themselves really has an opportunity to elevate up the the, the authenticity with which they exist and are followed. And I think that's what helped it in that that project scenario that there was a you know there was a very safe space created to have those conversations. But it wasn't just created at a workshop level where those conversations were explored. It was intended to be created at an organizational level to create a culture that would leverage vulnerability positively. I'm reminded of some of the men's work scenarios that I've been in over the last couple of years where one of the ways that we encourage men to be more vulnerable and authentic in those environments is every time someone shows a little bit of vulnerability, it takes a risk and shares something. One of the questions that we'll ask is, do other people feel like they trust this person more now or that they care more about this person now than they did before they shared that thing? And universally, everybody puts their hand up and says, yes, I trust them more. And that that therefore starts to create that safe space, actually, that means that other people will share a bit more and they'll take more of a risk because they realize that someone else has shared something and it's been positive for them. Mm-hmm. So I think part of that organizational level creation of safety is to actually call out the impact of on other people when someone shares something, when someone expresses vulnerability or authenticity. Yeah, I'm, I'm minded to, to, I think we touched on it before, there was a, the, the outfit that, um, I say the outfit, the company that is looking to try and scale leadership development globally that I've, I've come across, and I think we mentioned before, Adeption, um, not the only company that's trying to do this, but one that's doing it extremely well. They talk about the cycle of personal development. Put yourself in a heat experience, which is, I think, put yourself in a situation which you wouldn't necessarily normally choose to. It's kind of like just be on the edge, but then get feedback. Get what they call colliding expect, uh, colliding perspectives. Get feedback from people about how did that show up? How did you feel? How did you respond to it? Stuff that you wouldn't normally expect to get so you can understand what impact in the system that you're in. That new behavior, that thing you've chosen to do um, had uh, on other people. And then, and this is where I think the men's work has been, it's, it's fabulous, is you've got a safe space then to make sense of it and process it, you can reflect on it and help people then work out what does that mean? I tried something new, I've got this feedback, what does that mean? That little cycle simple as it might sound incredibly powerful and i think what you're describing there is is an incredibly important thing for anybody to start to put, sort of build as a practice and just thinking is there any way a simple version of that in terms of start taking on a new team take on a new leadership role first thing you don't want to do which you may actually therefore avoid is be really authentic and open and say the good and the bad is going to be like this then see what people react like. And then maybe individually or as a group, make sense of it. How does that mean, therefore, we've got to operate? Just to the bell go for last orders at the bar, chaps. Yep. So as we leave this one, where are your thoughts? 
Um, my, mine are when there's an inevitability of something. Why don't you prepare for it a little bit? Particularly if it's something which, in some systems, is a critical um, part of a observational or decision-making proce process or proce uh, framework about the contribution you can make. So, if stress is inevitable, if extremis is inevitable in some some way, shape, or form, given the kind of role you're in, do whatever you can to prepare for that in yourself and with people around you knowing that that may actually help you make a better contribution and maybe help you progress. Don't leave it to chance or hope it won't happen. Yeah, it will happen. Mm. I, I'd build on that by saying, yeah, when you're, when you're in times where you're not very stressed, take the opportunity to make a plan and reflect and understand how you might react. And then also just to that last piece that we were talking about, take a risk with your team and share something in a vulnerable way and see how it lands. Brian, what about you? I just sit here being grateful for sharing a bit of my week and Getting to hear the thoughts of two great blokes. Enjoy the rest of that pint, gents. Yeah. Have a great weekend. You too. You too, mate. find any of the subjects we cover in this podcast spark inspiration curiosity or concern within you do drop us a line details are in the comments below and we'll be happily there to listen and see how we can offer the best support for you mm -hmm.